This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thanks for being here today. Today, my guest is Dr. Morgan Cutlip. She has a PhD in psychology and she is a relationship expert. Don't we all need that? She has a book coming out in September called Love Your Kids Without Losing Yourself. And in this conversation, we talk about expectations. And I love what Morgan starts the conversation with, with what she thought she would be like as a mother, as a psychologist, and then when she became a mother, what the reality really felt like. This is a short and sweet one, and we'll probably record another episode in the near future because I felt like we really hit it off and it was super fun. If you do enjoy this or any of the shows that uh, you've listened to in this podcast, would you share it on social media? Just tag us, why is everyone yelling on Instagram? I'm lindsayhind626. That is a great way for listeners to find us. And if you enjoyed it, hopefully other people will as well. You can also leave us a rating interview on iTunes or wherever you're listening. That is also a huge help in spreading the word about the show. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Dr. Morgan Cutlip. All right. Well, today on the podcast, we have Dr. Morgan Cutlip on the show. Welcome to the show, Morgan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Really excited to have you on the show. Uh, we're both like managing this 30 minute window between like speech <laughs> therapy, going on field trips with kids. I was just thinking like, okay, I can do this all as I like got the peanut butter on the bananas and sprinkled <gasps> some protein powder on it, put a show on for my four year old that is here that I hope doesn't walk in. I was like, I can do hard things. I can get this all in. <laughs> you can. We're doing it. I know. I was eating like a beef stick and talking with my husband about our schedule and like trying to chug some water all before I'm hopping on here. So yeah, we can do it. We can do hard things. It's funny. I used to have to juggle like the little, little kid stuff a lot more with recording podcasts. And now that my kids are bigger, it just isn't quite as a hardship. And I think back to those days and I'm like, how did I even do that? Like, how did I manage that? Um, so if you're listening and you have young, young kids, just know that like those things get easier. Like kid, your kids can entertain themselves sometimes. I agree. I know I've heard both sides where it's like it doesn't get easier. It actually gets harder. Um, but I, I don't know. For me, the difficulty in getting things done with little kids, like not being able to know that they'll stay alive when you like leave the room was actually one of the hardest. I mean, it's not the hardest part, but that was hard. That was yeah. very challenging as somebody who likes to be really productive. So I think in that way, absolutely, it gets so much easier. How old are your kids? Seven and nine, almost 10. Yeah, yeah. those are those are beautiful ages. We're in, I mean, they were now in this place where they're bickering Oh yeah, And so that's like a whole new dimension. Uh, but... It is lovely. Older kids yeah. are quite lovely. Yeah. They're fun. Yeah, I mean, I will say the fighting thing is like, it makes me feel like I'm going to like lose my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. At the same time, it is easier than it was when they were little, little. Just like I for agree. me, at least physically, there's different emotional demands, but I just, you're just not as physically drowning in the those needs anymore and so for me personally and I like to say that because I like 
for people who are feeling like they're drowning to, to know like it's going to get easier and just hard in different ways to have hope but like it's it's what you said earlier was really smart which is like how did I do all of that I look back and I'm like how did I do all of that and so I think that I don't know there, there's like we live hard moments all the time and it just changes and it shifts but like you manage and you adapt and then before you know it, you're in a new season you're like how did I do that that was pretty amazing that I did and now it's feeling this way and so Life is always shifting and evolving and and we're capable of handling all sorts of things. But I I feel like when I our kids were little, one of the things that was like really surprised me is that I I mean, I have my doctorate in psychology. I was like, I'm gonna have this mastered. Like I'm gonna know exactly what to do. I'm gonna three year old, we're gonna do timeout. Like you can't do timeout now. It's like yep, taboo, it's right? Anymore. You're not allowed to do time in, sit next to him, all these things. But like I figured we would have this like really enlightening chat after. And then behavior would change. And it was like I couldn't I'd like say two words, stop talking. You know? So it was so much different than I expected. And now that they're older, we can actually still got to be kind of brief which is not my forte but mm-hmm. you can at least reason through stuff which is it's amazing it's amazing I love that you brought that up and I have talked to plenty of conscious parenting people on this mm-hmm. podcast Dr. Shafali, like yeah. Ralphie Jacobs like this whole group of like that kind of positive parenting Wendy Snyder she's one of my all-time favorites I personally haven't been able to buy completely into it just because, I mean, I will be like honest if I, I have four boys and oh, wow. when you mentioned the timeout thing, it's like, you know what? Sometimes I just have to do that to get that person out of the room because there's so many other people in this common area and you need to be removed. And I don't know. And, and like when they were really little, it was like, I have to keep, as you mentioned, these other ones alive. Yes. <laughs> Right now, I'm not necessarily keeping people alive, but it's just like, and so I think in this culture, in this world of parenting, we like tend to overthink so many things because people are saying, do it this way, do it that way. And although I like to learn from those people, I've had to just be like, I have to do it this way sometimes, you know? Yes, we all have to do it this way sometimes. I think that's really important. So I have all these thoughts, but one thing Go, go, go. I know for me, yeah, just just like riff. Okay, so one thing that comes up for me as you're talking is that um, I've had to do that too. Like I have to do that sometimes now. If one of if they're whacking each other, I have to physically separate them. And sometimes I have to put one in their room while I go talk to the other one, the other one and make sure they're okay. I think for me, something that I keep in the top of mind, and so maybe this offers some like relief for parents, is that what I value in my parenting is that I like help complete the loops or fill in the blanks for the kids so if we if I have to separate or I have to do a do a timeout or something you know something along those lines I do want to make sure I come back and process it so they understand like what's the rationale what was going on how could we have done it differently like now that they're older we can have these conversations but I don't want them to make up and interpret their own interpretation so I like to be part of that conversation in the repair. And I think that is something that um, we need to always remember as moms because we can get so caught up in content overload mm. and trying to find the right expert who like has the right way of doing things and we feel like we're always getting it wrong um, is that there's so much power in how we repair with our kids that there um, is a lot that can be can be done in that process. And it doesn't need to be done perfectly. Parenting does not need to be perfect. Um, 
in my book, I actually write about um, reasons why motherhood can feel really hard one time. Um, and I think I give, <laughs> like, trying to talk so quickly, three reasons why motherhood could feel really hard. And and the third is this conflict between I must parent my children perfectly and I can be a good enough parent. And there is a whole body of research on intensive mothering specifically. And um, I think so many of us fall into that pattern of parenting, especially in this Instagram age of like millions of experts who just like, there's so many scripts out there and, you know, do this and don't do that. Or you're going to make, if you, gosh, if you praise your kid too much, they're going to like never, never have internal validation. They're going to seek external. Or if you do this, you're going to make them codependent. Don't tell them how they make you feel. Like all of these things that can conjure up anxiety in us as parents, I think has made the parenting landscape and specifically mothering landscape very, very challenging for us. Wow. I am like, I always catch myself saying to my son, you make me so happy. And I'm like, I know I'm not supposed to do that, but just looking at your little face does make me so happy. I I don't think that, I mean, I know I am not like, maybe get Dr. Chapali on here. Somebody will argue with me. It just is like the relationship with that we have with our children is not most often, unless it's some major traumatic experience, it is not completely shaped by a singular moment in time. It is the composite picture of all of these experiences, of our relationship, of the way they feel around us. It's the big picture that is really important with our kids. And so it's just, I mean, it's okay to tell your kid they're doing a good job sometimes. <laughs> or like, you don't have to point out all the details like oh I like how you drew that in red there like sometimes you'd be like dude that picture's rad I love it you know so I think that it's okay to um I don't know like be joyful about some of these things um and share them with your kids you're not gonna mess them up do you feel like we were talking about like the just overload of Instagram stuff. Like, how do you feel? Because one of my issues with starting this podcast was like, I don't want to be more noise. Like, there's so yeah. much noise. And I don't want people to feel like they always have to come here and just be like, do this, not that, blah, blah, blah. So um, how do you feel when like creating your content on Instagram? And you talk a lot about like relationships and your relationships with your partner after kids and things like that. I so I think I would be maybe a bigger account if I leaned into some of these hard and fast rules or these do's and don'ts or maybe if I complained more about mm. my partner or partners in general. Um, I will say I'm very, very mindful of the type of content I put out because there are like certain things that are just of value to me. One of them when I talk about partnerships is that um, there's two perspectives and so women have kind of a louder voice on Instagram. And so I want to be a space that like, I'm, I'm not a space designed for men, but I want to be a space where if a guy stumbles on my account, they're not going to feel like they're completely being attacked over there. And that maybe they'll learn some, gain some perspective in their part about their partners. And I've actually received messages from men. They're like, so grateful for your account. I've learned a lot about my wife. I'm like, I'm glad you feel safe here. Like, I'm glad but there's, you know, there are partners that are difficult and partners that absolutely would be easy to complain about. But I think it's important. There's always two perspectives. I think the other is that I believe information should be empowering and not entrapping. And so when I create content or share information, I want it to inform people's lives in a way that they can plug it in, 
however and wherever they want. So they're not like having me in their head saying like, don't, 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 don't do that. Oh, oh, or stop doing that. You know, I want them to be like, oh, I remember that she said this. Like, can I use this to reflect on something I'm doing? Can I make a, a positive shift? But I, I, I don't want it to be a space that conjures up shame or guilt or any of those things, because I think that there's just a lot of latitude in how we exist in our relationships, whether it's with our kids, our partners, our relationship with ourselves. And we, we're all learning how to navigate it um, better and um, in ways that we all kind of feel better and feel more connected. Um, but there's not like hard and fast for the most part. I'm sure I could come up with a couple, but there's not really like these hard and fast ways of doing it. Everyone has different circumstances. So that's such a good point. There's not like a big world for men in this department. No. Mm -mm. Is there like any, I'm trying to think of any accounts that I know of that it's like a male psychologist or something playing that role. It's, it's, and it's probably because the algorithm shows me women. Sure. And I know there are men psychologists on there and, um, and there are accounts, there are like some fatherhood accounts that Mm -hmm. are actually really good. Um, but a lot of times the accounts will step into, which I'm not hating this, like this is great, but like we'll step into just kind of echoing the female's perspective. Mm-hmm. And I can appreciate that, but um, I did a podcast interview with a guy once on our podcast and, and it was like I wanted to hear a male perspective about the mental load and it was a good episode. But I'd rather like, I would love to talk to like a group of men and be like, tell me your side. Like what is Ooh, going on that. here? What was interesting in that that interview with that guy was I said once, like, if, if you had, like, a pie chart, how much of your mental load is work and how much of your mental load is home? And it was, like, clearly most of it was work. And I think men have a mental load, so they're not as unable to understand it as we may think sometimes, but it's just in another domain of life. And I think that's what we find really frustrating is that we're carrying this sort of, like, home and personal relationship side of everything. But... Anyway, I think there's a perspective there that's a valuable one, too. Oh, for sure. You know, it's so interesting to me because ever since COVID, my husband has worked from home. Mm -hmm. He, like, never goes to the office. So I think the emotional load at home is more than it's ever been because he's just physically witnessing more and he's just here for more. Like, when the kids are getting ready for school, like, he maybe has started working, but he pops out and, like, makes lunches or, you know, whatever. It just Mm -hmm. depends on the day. Um, So I feel like he feels that emotional toll more than he's ever felt. I mean, the couple times since we've moved to Raleigh, which was about two years ago, that he has gone to the office, he gets home and he's like, ready to go, like ready (laughs) to play with everybody and just like fired up. And I'm thinking, that's what you were for the first seven years of all of this. Um, But the other piece is that that emotional load like when my kid is super anxious or really sad about something, I'm maybe generalizing genders here, but like he just doesn't carry that weight like I do. No. And it's not that he doesn't love my kid as much as I do. He just doesn't feel it as deep. It doesn't affect him as much. Like if he's traveling for work and one of our kids is sad about something, he's traveling for work. Yeah. If, if I'm traveling for work and I know my kid's at home sad, I'm like, I feel so bad that I'm not there to snuggle him tonight. Yeah, I think that's true. I don't actually have this, the answer to why that is, whether it's, I'm sure we could argue lots of things like, uh, you know, how people are gendered, right? Or what we're taught about emotions or I, my husband travels a lot for work too. Um, he actually just wrapped up a, f- a 15 week 
in a row. Whoa. So he was home on the weekends and some days would be like three days a week or two. But it was 15 weeks in a row he was gone at least two days. And I remember talking to him early on and I'm like, do you feel guilt? Like, do you feel guilt? Because <laughs> like, I just, I don't travel much for work really at all. Um, but I randomly had something uh, last week and I've, I've dealt with my guilt so I don't feel it. But traditionally I would feel pretty guilty about leaving. And so I'm like, you're gone all the time. Do you feel guilty? And he's like, you know, I feel sad to miss out mm. and I, and I feel the sacrifice and I could feel guilty However, I don't let myself go there. So he sort of like compartmentalizes it. And then the other thing he said was that, but I'm doing a service to my family by providing and going out and working and, and providing a life for us. And and um, and I think that there's something to that piece as well, which is like the hierarchy of priorities and roles. And I think that a very stereotypical one is that men are providers. And so that one um, is still very relevant today and plays a big part. And I think how men think about things. And so it's almost like our priorities are family and children. Um, first, a lot of times in men, I think prioritize providing and I know that's old school but it's still operational in a lot of people's lives and and I think that plays a part in how they just kind of like rectify that whole experience of being gone and where their investment is when they're when they're gone for sure yeah I mean even if I'm going somewhere for work I still like have it like in my head that it's a little bit for play so I feel a little bit guilty like I'm I think what my guilt is the kids are fine. They're usually like, yeah, it's boys weekend, which is fun to be able to say because yes. I'm the only girl. Yes. But like, I feel guilt that I'm not carrying my load. Yeah. I yeah. guess physically. Like you're burdening your partner. Yeah. Like I just feel guilty like, oh, he's going to have to do everything. And mm-hmm. he, and this is probably also uh, a generalization of men he doesn't ask for help like he he won't text the neighbor and be like hey can you get Russell from school or whatever where mm. I would be like hey I'm I'm with the kids by myself like if you're walking so-and-so home can you walk Russell home you know what I mean but he yes. just like it's like when we're driving somewhere and he doesn't know where he's going he won't stop and ask for directions he won't ask for help <laughs> <laughs> that's total stereotype that I think carries I a lot of truth to it you <laughs> it's know it's like stereotype. Gosh, I was reading in some book recently where where that was the, the example. Like they like to figure almost like this like mastery becomes kind of an interesting challenge for them. Again, it feels like good totally, to figure it out. feels good to figure it out. And so that's – she was saying in this book like that's part of why they don't ask for help with directions. And women are like, ask for help. You know, what are we doing driving around aimlessly? And like part of the fun is kind of figuring it out. But I think, you know, some of the stuff with the guilt is like – a lot of us women, I mean, everybody carries uh, these almost like frameworks in our mind about what role, certain roles look like, almost like these shoulds, like a good mom should, blah, 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 or a good mom wouldn't. Or good. So we, we have these frameworks that have been developing since we were little. I mean, the way that we played, the way we saw our parents or main caregivers take care of us, um, how we were mothered or parented, like all of this stuff starts like uh, compiling information into these frameworks that then really come out when we become parents. And we don't even recognize it sometimes until that guilt creeps up. But when we have developed almost like these 
extreme standards for ourselves that we really just can't fully live up to. I call them impossible standards of like, you know, a good mom would never leave her children or a good mom would never abandon her child when they're upset or it's like they're very extreme and they're, and they're nearly impossible to maintain throughout the course of parenthood and motherhood. And when we violate these or even come close to violate, violating them, um, that's when guilt like this unhelpful guilt, unnecessary guilt creeps in and kind of just like ruins everything. It takes the joy out of stuff. It's like, that's nice for you to get away or have some time away from the kids and like to have that guilt, guilt creep in really starts to take away from that experience. So I would imagine that there are some of those frameworks operating in you in that moment that um, maybe you've identified or maybe you haven't, but... All right, friends, I want to let you know if you are training for a half marathon or a marathon, I have training plans on my website at lindsayheim.com. The half marathon plans are 14 weeks. There's a beginner beginner. There's a beginner as you can get. There's a beginner intermediate. There's an intermediate and there's advanced. So there's four options. And then we have marathon training plans that are 18 weeks that give you a nice base build. And I have three options there, a beginner, intermediate, and advanced. When you go to the website and click on each training plan, it'll tell you what the mileage starts at, what the long run starts starts at, what the entirety of the week total mileage is at and how it builds you. I'm super conservative with how I build miles. And I've had a lot of people who have had tons of success with this plan. Actually, my friend Bridget here on Instagram just messaged me yesterday and says, oh my gosh, I purchased the half marathon advanced training plan for my June half marathon, but ran another one yesterday and snagged a massive PR. I'm a big believer down from 146 to 139 half marathon. All right. You heard it from Bridget. Go to lindsayhine.com to learn more and grab yourself an awesome training plan. All right. Back to the show. Yeah, and I wonder too, depending on the person, if their mom traveled a lot or something like that, if they mm-hmm. might think, oh, this is the norm. This is what moms do. Right. Or did they feel abandoned by their mom because exactly. she traveled a lot? It's like all, I'm in therapy now and it's like all the things from your childhood coming yeah. out. Yeah. And we don't like, it's so funny. I just um, came back from a training where I was teaching a class. Um, it's my dad, one of my dad's programs, actually. I worked with him for a long time um, for singles. And we talk about the importance of getting no family background in a potential partner as well as in mm. yourself. And it's, I was saying to him, I'm like, oh, it's so interesting because I'm in the social media world. So I see all this different stuff and how, um, like a theme on social media, I feel like there's these like trends, you know, is this cycle breaking, right? We're all doing the cycle breaking because I was mm-hmm. saying to my dad, you know, it feels like people are really reflective about their parent, about their childhood yeah. and their family experiences when they become parents. And as they're they're out of that baby toddler stage too, because they're yes. seeing those relationships. Yes. And then we're like, oh, and it's like all this stuff we've never, like we kind of need to do it earlier in life, but all this stuff we've not really reflected on even in our relationship I think a lot of times um it's like the same thing like when you're if you're in a heterosexual relationship when your um, husband becomes a father you're like oh kind of a little different in some ways there's some stuff I didn't see in you before that is now coming out and then you can totally see like the direct link between um this behavior and maybe one of their parents and you're like oh I don't like this right <laughs> so there's all this stuff that comes out after kids enter the picture that 
I think we're tired and overwhelmed and um, navigating these new roles and relationships and then all this stuff comes up and it's like, this is a whole lot to sort through. So, so how do you sort through it? You needed a second episode. I mean, there's, well, what you're doing, you said you're in therapy, right? That's part of it. Well, I'm in personal, not couples. But. Yeah, but I bet you're sorting through a lot of these, the ways that your family has impacted you or how it impacts even your relationship with yourself. And, and there's so many ways, there's so many resources out there. We're overwhelmed and with resources, but um, yes. it depends what you, what's going on. I think you can go to therapy and go to couples therapy, you can read a book. Um, there are, I sell guides to help people navigate some of this stuff and courses about marriage after kids. We have a course on that. Um, and so there's all sorts of ways of kind of unpacking some of this stuff, but specifically when it comes to expectations, mm. I think one of the biggest, cause that's sort of what we're talking about, like expectations for roles or of yourself or even of your partner, um, after kids and, um, how they are as a parent and how they are as a partner to you after kids because that changes in big mm-hmm. ways too. Part of it is like putting it on the table. I think, you know, expectations are like deeply rooted within us and it takes the right, you know, sunshine and water and all that stuff for them to take root and to grow. And then all of a sudden we're like, what is going on here? And so part of it is really putting them on the table. So developing some insight, putting them out in the open talking about them if they're with your partner, talking about them and and renegotiating some of this stuff Mm. to get on the same page. Or if it's with yourself um, and it's these extreme expectations that lead to unnecessary guilt, it becomes about um, revising revising those to be more realistic and implementing some strategies to kind of like lock them in. So I have a guide for these things that are free, actually. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Oh, so I can give you a link to that sometimes. So I have a, a guide to help navigate guilt. Um, your book, Love Your Kids Without Losing Yourself. Um, yeah. What's like the, I don't want to say template. What's the... What's it about? Yeah. <laughs> so the the general idea of the book is that moms are like the master caregivers of everybody of their kids of their home of their social schedules of their relationship with their partners with everybody and everything in their lives they're the master caregivers but they don't often turn those same skill sets towards themselves Mm -hmm. and so we tend to get lost in motherhood whether it's um we haven't really even asserted our needs in so long that like we don't remember what they are or can't even identify them or um we're so drowning in mom guilt that we just can't really find that joy and and the ability to like get some time and space to pursue anything that brings us meaning so all of these ways that we can get lost in motherhood so I give moms five steps to managing their relationship with themselves so that they care for themselves just like they care for everybody else but I do it in a way that they can like do a self-check-in in 30 seconds or less and determine where their relationship needs some attention. And and I'm talking about your relationship with yourself. So where it needs some attention. And so I give practical strategies 
for what to do once you've identified where it needs some attention. And you can make small tweaks like very, very quickly in the moment. Um, you can do the self-check-in and the amount of time it takes you to like go to the bathroom. So that was my, <laughs> can you do this while you're on the toilet instead of scrolling on your phone? And yes, you absolutely can. So um, it's practical strategies for, for feeling better in motherhood and more connected to yourself. And the whole book is built around a model of relationships. So I give a visual of a model in relationships and you can look at it and very quickly give an assessment of where you are in terms of your relationship with yourself and where there are deficits. And I believe that um, there's two ways we can feel better. We can feel better by actually identifying what our, what the deficit is and then attending to it. But we also can feel better by just defining what's going on with us. And I think that sometimes we're lost in motherhood and we're like, we don't even know where to begin. And if you can define it, that alone becomes really empowering. So it offers both of these things to moms. So if it's like, I'm in the thick of it, I can't do anything about it now, but I know exactly what's going on with me and exactly what I can do about it um, when I have the time. Yeah. I love, I love what you said right there. I remember in the fall, I was like, I had some like health anxieties, which is like a very common thing for me. And I was just generally very anxious. And one of my friends who has three boys, she was like, Lindsay, just having four boys, Mm -hmm. 10 and under is enough of a reason to be anxious. Like you don't need to like find all these other reasons that you're anxious. Like it's okay to recognize that what you're doing right now is really, really hard and stressful. And I had kind of like put this like maybe a bandaid's the right word on it to say like, we're out of the diapers. We're out of the baby years. Like we're good. Everything's fine. But the fighting and the scrambling for school and all that, like, it was getting to me and I, I didn't really think it was. And I also didn't want to give it that credit because I was like, this is silly. We're all healthy and everybody's fine. Why mm. am I feeling so stressed out? Oh, okay. So one more thing. Yeah. There's so many things to say. I think we could talk a really long time. Okay. One main point in my book, and I bring it out in the very beginning of the book, is that balance is baloney. So the idea that in our relationships, we reach a final destination point of like everything is in order. Like my kids are out of diapers. We've reached the holy land. Everything is good. Like the idea that we reach this cruising altitude and stay here is a complete myth. And I think it sets us up, especially as moms, to feel like we're regularly falling short because we're like, Mm -hmm. if we just turn all the right dials, everything is good. And then when it gets messed up, we're like, how is this messed up again? I thought I was so good. And so I like right off the bat normalize life has this way of pulling our relationships apart. So whether it's pulling you apart from your kids, like feeling some disconnect or distance or from your partner, but even with yourself, life has this way of like just making it difficult to maintain our connections because life is busy, different seasons bring new challenges, the day to day there's new things we're managing. And so we almost have to first like bust the myth that we can reach a permanent resting state of everything in our lives being together and staying together and instead adopt the idea that like we're always just kind of balancing like expect to get messed up expect to feel a little bit stressed sometimes and know like well but I do know and I am equipped to know how to come back and make some adjustments and feel a little bit better yeah we don't want to end but we have to Um, (laughs) we'll have to do this again we should do this again Uh, that I love that 
and, and, and give yourself credit friends. Like give yourself, yeah. like pat yourself on the back. Like it's okay. And then come, come, come back down. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's do end a podcast here. What is something professionally or personally you would like to do that you haven't done yet? I'd like to be on like the Today Show or something. <laughs> I feel like that, you could make that happen. I have a delusion of grandeur. I'm like, I want to write, I want to have a New York Times bestselling book and be on the Today Show. You should but say that. What, that's who, the big one. What, if you could choose anybody on the Today Show to do the interview, who would it be? Oh, I don't know. Come back to that one. <laughs> I'm going to go Hoda because. I do love Hoda. I know. I, I said to Glenn, the other, my husband, the other day, she called she called someone sweetie or something. She always does that. Yes. And I was like, I want Hoda to call me sweetie. I know. <laughs> I just feel like I, it would feel so comforting. I've watched Hoda for years. Yeah, that would probably be my pick. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best, most recent book you've read or would like to recommend? Actually, I'm reading a book. We're doing the audio book. We read, um, it's a series uh, with, my, with my daughter, with our daughter, um, called, oh gosh, Nevermore. And we're on book three of the series, and I'm so into it. It's excellent. The audiobook is amazing. I almost always am reading self-help books or marketing books or books like that. And so this has been lovely. Same. Yeah. Nevermore. I, well, I was going to ask you if you had a kid's book you recommended. That one. It's so good. Okay. If your kid's like, let me give you the gist. If you like Harry Potter, uh-huh. you'll like Nevermore. Does your son like it too? Yes. Loves okay. It. And Two it's more a questions. female heroine. Ah, Nice. Uh, do you have a trip or a place that you've explored or visited with your family that you would recommend? We went to Hawaii. That was our first family vacation. And I mean, I guess this is like an easy one. It was amazing. And our daughter swam with turtles and it was fun to have that downtime together. And last message to leave with the audience. I think it's a a message of hope. I, I want, um, yeah, if you're in that busy season of motherhood or you are in coming out of the busy season of motherhood and are being kind of smacked in the face by these new challenges that you weren't anticipating, I want the message to be a message of hope that there is always opportunity to make small shifts. And sometimes when you make these small shifts, um, it feels like a massive, massive impact and that um, seasons are regularly changing and they bring new challenges and that's totally normal and um to be a little bit easier on yourself. Dr. Morgan Cutlip, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much, everybody, for being here today. Thank you, Dr. Morgan Cutlip, for coming on the show. She has a great Instagram. You should check out Dr. Morgan Cutlip. You can find this podcast, Why Is Everyone Yelling? You can find our podcast network, Sandy Boy Productions, on Instagram. And you can find me personally. I'm Lindsay Hine 626 uh, Learn more about this show and all the shows in our network at sandyboyproductions.com. I'm so grateful you're here. Thanks for being here. Share the show with a friend and we will see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling?